Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Dave Portnoy is a sellout. I said it yesterday and I'm saying it again. He has no interest in bringing people together. His interests are in lining his pockets. I'd have no problem with it if he just admitted. He's, he's the white LeBron James. It's great Portnoy raised money for small businesses. It's great LeBron spent a million dollars on a school in Akron. It's good marketing. It's terrific public relations. It creates the appearance that Portnoy and James haven't forgotten the little guy. The best thing you can do to support the working man and woman is defend the Constitution. The document isn't remotely outdated. It created the freedom and opportunity that we all benefit from 200 years after its ratification. Dave Portnoy benefited from our Constitution. Now that he's made it rich, he's good with rewriting the rules, regulations, and systems that allowed him to rise. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Wednesday, happy hump day to you and yours. It is Wednesday, it is hump day, it is Tennessee Harmony Day, and we will bring some harmony uh, to this show. Uh, but before we do that, we're gonna bring some fire. Uh, Alex Stein is going to rejoin us again for the second day in a row. Uh, Shamika Michelle, uh, will be here as well. Uh, Pastor Anthony is here with us for Tennessee Harmony. We'll have an interview uh, with a Florida uh, school administrator at a Christian uh, high school in Florida who's in a bit of hot water and trouble. We'll interview Brian McKean and find out about his school's policy as it relates to LGBTQ and transgender students. And Anthony and I will discuss that in Tennessee Harmony. Uh, but we're going to start today's show where we left off yesterday. I'm going to reignite a fire that I started yesterday on Dave Portnoy. I don't know if you caught it last night. Uh, Dave Portnoy uh, responded over Twitter, had a little few fat jokes, uh, cracked some joke about me uh, performing oral sex on him. Uh, Dave Portnoy has some issues and Clearly, he wants a level of smoke from me that I'm more than happy to give him. And so we're going to do that today, and we're going to bring Alex Stein back in uh, to discuss this. But I'm going to start a new fire as it relates to uh, Dave Portnoy uh, to get today's show off and rolling. Narcissism, cocaine, insecurity, and shallowness prevent Dave Portnoy from acknowledging his betrayal. He's betting the legion of followers he's developed while building the Barstool Sports Empire exist in a similar character flaw haze and will fail to recognize their leader is Benedict Arnold. Tuesday night, in response to his Twitter beef with comedian Alex Stein and my column painting him as a fraud, 
Portnoy cast himself as a victim of a courageous and humorous attempt to challenge the political establishment. Via Twitter, Portnoy released a sarcastic letter arguing that his rejection of the political right and political left made him a target of political extremists. Writing, quote, <clears throat> yet does Portnoy yield? Ha! He stands strong against the constant unfair attacks while everyone else whines and screams, David, the last true American Portnoy, helps small businesses, fights the corrupt suits of Wall Street, and runs a billion dollar company that he built brick by brick. That's sarcasm, he's being funny, uh, but you know, all humor is based in a kernel of truth and self-belief, uh, so hats off to Portnoy for building Barstool and raising money to assist small businesses hurt by the COVID lockdown. Benedict Arnold was an American war hero before joining the British. Plus, it's farcical for Portnoy to suggest he's the enemy of the political establishment. It's the equivalent of me arguing that Ronald McDonald and Burger King hatched an assassination plot to take my life and recover my buy one, get one free coupons. It makes no sense. Dave, if you're gonna do fat jokes, do jokes funnier than the fat jokes I crack on myself. You're supposed to be the guy running a humor blog or website or sports media empire. You're supposed to be the funny guy. Dave Portnoy surrendered to the establishment in 2020 when gambling conglomerate Penn National bought a 50% stake in Barstool, Portnoy has never publicly acknowledged his capitulation, but smart observers see it in his actions and the tonal shift of Barstool's content. Stevie Wonder could see the submission when he heard Portnoy's Roe v. Wade emergency press conference. And, and let me stop you right here don't jump to the conclusion that Portnoy's pro-choice stance pissed me off. Dave Portnoy has never pretended to have a moral compass. I was in no way surprised that a super wealthy, middle-aged frat boy with a sweet tooth for barely legal women would be pro-choice. I'm not calling Portnoy the white R. Kelly, but I bet Portnoy knows every word to Keith Sweat's right in a wrong way. You may be young, but you're ready, ready to learn. You're not a little girl, you're a woman. That's probably the song Portnoy plays as he seduces young college girls in Nantucket. My point is, Portnoy has never hidden his rejection of responsibility. Irresponsible men value abortion access as much as hardcore feminists. A condom is a responsibility bridge too far for drunken, high 45-year-olds reenacting the movie Animal House. Portnoy's pro-choice stance makes absolute sense. It was his pro-choice argument that stamped him a traitor. Portnoy denigrated the Constitution. He argued for the rewriting of the Constitution Let's take a listen to an excerpt from his emergency press conference the day Roe v. Wade was overturned. At what point 
Do you look at the Constitution and say, hey, this was written by people who had slaves. Maybe not everything is exactly to a T in the Constitution. Like a million years from now, you're going to use a document written in the... It's just nuts. In what world? The world evolves. People evolve. Technology evolves. you got to evolve. You can't stick with this document and look at that and be like, that's the end-all, be-all. It, it, it's literally crazy pills. And it's coming from somebody who consistently is like... The U.S. is the best country in the world by a mile. I still believe it, but we're going backwards. And the left and the right suck so bad. Like, the left hates me. The, the woke left, the liberals, they're crazy. They're insane people. Yet, I end up having to vote for a moron like Biden because the right is going to put Supreme Court people in who are just ruining this country and taking basic rights away. I honestly believe 95% of the people in the country think like me. They're like, they're liberally, they're, they're socially liberal and they're financially conservative. They like 90% of what Republicans, they don't like the woke culture, all this craziness. But then you look at what they're doing and it's like you're taking away basic rights. What's next? Same-sex marriage? Like, what is next? It's insane. That's why we have to vote for the morons like Biden, who's borderline incompetent, because it's too dangerous to vote Republican. Like, what the f*** are we doing? Wake up! So, that there is the betrayal. L l let me break it down for you. There's two different things he said here. 95% of the country, in his view, is... Uh, socially immoral, he called it liberal, but basically he's just talking about, hey, 95% of the country is just like me. We're sex junkies. We're all out just chasing young tail. We wanna have irresponsible sex without consequence. We, we want to have unprotected sex with as many women as possible, and then we wanna cut a check and make the baby go away. That's 95% of America. So we're socially liberal and or immoral. And then economically, we all want to be rich, and so we're conservatives. That's his argument, that that's what 95% of the country thinks and believes. And look, you've listened to me on this show, you know that uh, sexual morality has never been my strong suit. But I've never, never tried to pretend like my sexual immorality is normal, acceptable, appropriate, the right thing to do. I've never dressed it up. It's like, oh, 95% of the country is right there with me. Oh, I'm just a normal person. I can't control myself. I have no discipline. I have no moral character. I have no integrity. I have no values. That's 95% of the country. And then there's the other 5% of me that wants to be rich so I can be sexually immoral. But the real betrayal is, is his repeating of what global elites think and do. They acquire generational wealth, join the elite, and then become comfortable with tinkering with the system that allowed their rise. The freedoms guaranteed and the system installed by the ratification of the U.S. Constitution allowed Dave Portnoy to become a powerful multimillionaire. The system that worked perfectly for Portnoy gave individual states 
the responsibility of determining laws such as abortion. The Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, took and takes no position on abortion. It did not take one because it wasn't even an issue in the 1700s. No one questioned the value of life in the 1700s. I know we all like to get on this high chair and we have all evolved to this place where we're so superior to the men and women of the 1700s. Oh my God, those people own slaves. They're the worst people on the planet. Those people valued life. That's just a fact, and we don't. We think life is decided by some mother whenever she decides. We think life has no value if it's inconvenient to us. I'm not remotely justifying slavery, but I'm sorry. There are worse sins. There are worse atrocities. The devaluing of life, the murder of children, of babies in the womb. I'll argue with anybody it's worse than slavery. And so this moral superiority we think we have over the people in the 1700s who participated in a global phenomenon, a global phenomenon. Many of the black slaves, many of my ancestors, I'm a descendant of slaves. If you go look at the real history, other people who look like me sold me into slavery. Don't buy, don't buy this uh, retelling of history that's told, that's told in movies, like the movie that's gonna come out in September, The Woman King, and oh my God, these white people came to Africa and they just, they conquered us and took our people away. We were selling them. We were black people, Africans. The slave trade, that was us. They came there because we were selling our own. It was a global phenomenon. And to zero in on a special segment of people in America. And oh, these, these guys were the worst. They were worse than everybody else across the globe. It's garbage, it's BS. It's the excuse they're using to rewrite our Constitution and take away a system that has served us all well. Babies were a blessing back then. The self-described last true American is so foolish and self-absorbed and stupid that he has no clue that he's constructing an argument that assists America's Marxist enemies in the overthrow of our system. His Tuesday night letter opens by complaining that America is falling apart. He wrote, our country is falling apart. It seems that every day we are at each other's throats, screaming our opinions into our own personal echo chambers, looking for validation that we're right and ignoring anyone who says we're wrong. Yeah, Dave Portnoy, the comedic voice standing in the middle 
trying to bring us all together. It's too stupid to realize the country is falling apart because elites like him reject the legitimacy of the Constitution. See, when you start rejecting founding documents, it's a slippery slope. And again, I'm not going to apply my values, my biblical worldview to, to Dave Portnoy. But I can see the through line when you start, oh, these founding documents, they're outdated. They're no good. Oh, don't you know the people that wrote these founding documents? They were flawed. They participated in slavery. They did nothing about slavery. They're flawed. Do we think? Jesus did not write the Bible. Flawed men did. And so when you're willing to throw out founding documents, it's very, well, let's throw out this document, the Constitution. And you know what? The Bible that the, found, that the Constitution was based on, let's throw that out too. Because that's the real goal and agenda. The Constitution is just the appetizer. The real meal is the Bible. That is our true foundational document. You know why you believe today is Wednesday? Because the Bible told you so. You know why you believe today is August 24th, I believe? Yeah. The Bible told you so. It set the calendar. It is our foundational document. And that's what's up next. When they're done with the appetizer of the U.S. Constitution, Dave Portnoy and all these other global elitists who have all the money that they think they'll ever need and could ever spend, their next attack, and it's already in play, is the Bible. Because that's why they hate the U.S. Constitution, because it's based on the Bible. But Dave Portnoy is like, I, I don't know for sure, but likely an atheist, certainly acts like one. But again, he's trying to portray himself as the last true American. The dude doesn't believe in the Constitution, but he's the last true American trying to bring us all together. Stop it. Portnoy sounds like a soldier in the BLM, LGBTQ, Alphabet Mafia. Did you not hear him scream? What's next? They're gonna attack same-sex marriage! <laughs> Do you not, you can see the through line. Who's against same-sex marriage? God, Jesus, the Bible. Th th this is what this is all about. This dude's a sellout. He wants to disrupt the U.S. Constitution. He sold out because the Alphabet Mafia controls the purse strings he needs to make Barstool even bigger. He wants to be a billionaire. In his mind, that's worth selling out for. On Monday night, he bragged to Alex Stein about sleeping comfortably on $500 million. He justified taking down Stein's Las Vegas City Council video because he'd rather have oceanfront mansions than post content that upsets his corporate overlords. Dave Portnoy is a sellout. He has no interest in bringing people together. His interests are in lining his pockets. I'd have no problem if he'd just admit it. He's white LeBron James. 
It's great Portnoy raised money for small businesses. It's great LeBron spent a million dollars on a school in Akron. It's good marketing. It's terrific public relations. It creates the appearance that Portnoy and James haven't forgotten about the little guy. Best thing you can do to support the working man and woman, the little guy, is defend the Constitution. The document isn't remotely outdated. It created the freedom and opportunity that we all benefit from 200 years after its ratification. The political establishment, both Republicans and Democrats, want a new Constitution that allows America to submit to the new world order led by China. China is run by communists, it's Marxist, it's hostile to religious faith. That's the new world order that they're planning. They have to bring America down, its constitution down, to get to its ultimate end game. They don't want countries, societies, neighborhoods, communities, based on a biblical worldview. There's a process to getting there. The Constitution is part of that process, destroying it, undermining it, making you think, oh God, the Constitution is the worst thing in the planet. The people that wrote it, they were sinful. They committed sins. They, they had slaves. But baby murderers, all, the whole pro-abortion crowd, they're the smartest people, most high integrity people on the planet, in the history of the planet, in the history of the world. They can write a document that will lead to all this freedom and opportunity that we enjoy here in America. They can do it. It's the atheists. They're the ones that can save America. The globalists, the elites, they're the ones who can save America. They can save the world. Don't you see it? Can't you get it? Thankfully, many of you aren't that dumb. The last true Americans aren't so drunk, high, stupid, and self-absorbed that they can't see the phony patriots selling us out. We see you, Dave. We see you clear as day. You're a sellout. All you care about is money. You're a globalist. You're an elitist. This has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats painting me as or some kind of right-wing extremist. I'm a biblical worldview extremist. I Call me that. But I can care less. I couldn't care less about Republicans, Democrats, any of the political establishment. They're a joke and you're a supporter of the political establishment. You're part of the political establishment. Their agenda is rewriting and tearing down the Constitution. And you're on board with that. You're a sellout. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit the notifications, hit subscribe. Uh, you can email me at fearlessattheblaze.com. When we come back, Alex Stein's going to rejoin me, and uh, we'll reset our discussion on Dave Portnoy after his uh, tweets last night. Next. All right, welcome back. 
let's roll out to uh, Dallas and bring in Alex Stein for two days in a row. Uh, it's an honor to have Alex uh, back on the show. Alex kicked off this feud with uh, <laughs> uh, Dave Portnoy uh, by complaining about Barstool removing his his video from Las Vegas. Alex, I wanted your reaction to last night. I, I, I thought that Dave's little last true American letter, his attempted at humor, uh, perhaps he thought he was de-escalating uh, the situation. Uh, but, you know, after he uh, tweeted out about me choking on his uh, mm -hmm. private part, uh, I, I don't see any way, I didn't see any way to de-escalate de this situation. He's going to get a full, full-throated response from me. Uh, what were your thoughts last night uh, reading his attempt and humor and reaction to my column. Well, the news cycle is moving so fast, I don't even care. I looked at that sarcastic thing, that self-congratulatory post. It was, you know, I mean, it's insane, you know, patting himself on the back. He really should be ashamed. But I just found out. So I talked about this on your show, and they just played a clip. This is, this is live. This just happened. They just played a clip from our show yesterday talking about how I had a friend that I've known for 15 years at Barstool, a guy named Ben Mintz. He called me yesterday to tell me that he kind of talked bad about me to, uh, you know, Dave on his podcast, basically not even being on my side, being on Dave's side. And Dave found out they played the clip of that. Now Dave is firing the guy. He just tweeted out that he's firing this this poor guy from Louisiana just for knowing me. And the guy even defended uh, Dave. So this shows you how petty and cowardice uh, Dave Portnoy is. And it's not over. And he has some sort of fetish for talking about uh, genitals and people's mouth. I don't know why he goes to that. And then he goes with the, the personal insult the digs when listen the guy's five foot two he's talking about you know you and i can lose weight he couldn't ever grow it doesn't matter how much steroids he takes uh, you know you're always going to be a, a dwarf uh, dave hold for a second are you being you really this believe real. he the has fired your friend he just tweeted out that they're looking for a replacement. Now they're talking about it. Yes, he's potentially in the guy. My buddy's Ben Mintz. You know, I call him my buddy. I'm nice on the podcast. He goes, you're friends with him. He goes, well, that's a strong word. First of all, Ben and I have known each other for a long time. We have mutual friends that are very close to both of him and I. And now Ben is melting down. He's had about five tweets saying how sorry he is. And, and this is Dave's M.O. because Dave can't punish me. He's punishing one of his employees for just having uh, an an. Not even we're not even really friends. I mean, we known each other. I, I would say he's my friend because I'll call anybody my friend. But just even having an association with me, this guy's about to lose his job, his dream job at that. All because Dave Portnoy is the most petty man on earth. Hold for a sec. I I'm looking at the tweet. Look at the response. Hiring for new position at Barstool. Job title: King of the South. Job requirements: Cover the SEC and actually work. See, I went to LSU. Uh, that's how I know Ben. Ben went to Ole Miss. And that's how we know each other. We have mutual friends. And so now they want to fire him. And, and Dave Portnoy is so petty and callous that he's going to fire a guy that had Dave's back. He didn't even have my back. He called me to tell me that he was going to trash me and that it is what it is. I mean, it really, he just kind of laid it on the line. I think the, the only reason Ben said that is because Ben and I will interact with each other. Ben and I, you know, Ben just said he hadn't seen me in 10 years. Well, he, he saw me about four or five years ago. But that's neither here nor there. My point being is that Ben knows that he runs in a small enough circle where the, our circles will overlap. Now, Dave and I, 
lives might not necessarily overlap for a while. But if I want to go ingratiate myself in Ben's life, that would be very easy. So Ben's realizing that I'm an internet troll. Ben doesn't want me to give him the smoke. He doesn't want the Afghan Kush from Primetime 99 Alex Hine. He can't handle that. So now he's got his tail between his legs apologizing to uh, Dave Portnoy. And it's just sad. I feel guilty, honestly. And Dave, if they're watching this, because they just played our clip on their show. They just played it, Jason. Dave, if you're watching this, please do not fire Ben. He's not even a close friend. He's an acquaintance of mine. He does not deserve to lose Spell his job. Spell Ben's last name. I need to, and so I can find tweets from Ben as well? Yeah, go to Mincy. I think you type in M-I-N-T-Z-Y. It should come up. Uh, it's his, uh, his, yeah, it's, it's uh, Barstool, at Barstool Mincy. Mincy. Is his, Bar- uh, Barstool Mincy. Yeah, I'm surprised. Oh, it, I think I've seen that guy before. Oh, maybe not. I thought it older guy. Well, Let's you've see seen here. him. And, and, and you know, it's funny because this, this is a publicity stunt. This I don't buy. My immediate no, response not. to allegations. No, it's not. Did I call Stein? Yes, I did. But I did. But I did it to back up Stuhl presidency and Barstool against him. That was clearly a huge mistake. But I did it to back up my boss and my company. I am sick right now. This is the biggest misunderstanding. I literally called Stein back to back up Dave against him, and now I'm going to go down for having my bosses back. I'm literally sick right now and want to cry. Yes, I made a mistake making that phone call, but I was backing up my boss. I never, look, this is a publicity stunt because I don't think they can, this guy would have him over a barrel if he's getting fired for calling you. He would have him over a barrel, I, I don't think. A lot of legal ramifications, but this is Dave Portnoy, who has sex tapes of him choking girls out with an extension cord or with a phone cord. Have you seen that? Have you known about any of his sex tapes, Jason? I've heard something about Didn't Business Insider cover that? Well, not not just the sexual allegations. He has leaked sex tapes. You can find it on the Internet of him with a woman fornicating while he's choking her with a telephone cord. That's out there. That's that. And he's had other ones leaked, too. So Dave Portnoy is not some sort of, uh, you know, moral, high moral character guy. And we're going to get into our rankings. But this is obvious that he would even fire somebody that works at And he had the guy on his podcast because he knew that he knew me. And now he's doubling down because. Dave's getting crushed. He did that stupid uh, press release and got crushed for that. So now he's just trying to punish Ben, knowing that I'll probably feel guilty. And I do feel guilty. To be honest, I do. If Ben loses his job, which I hope he doesn't, I will feel bad. And I hope that doesn't motivate him to fire him. But yeah, I'll feel totally guilty that Ben doesn't deserve to lose his job in Manhattan, you know, barely making it. And so did Ben work directly for Portnoy on this podcast or was he doing something else and then Dave just had him on the podcast because of the connection to you? The second thing. So he works and covers the SEC, goes to a lot of the baseball stuff. And, you know, they have a bunch of people that have different jobs. They hop on multiple podcasts. I think he's on like a gambling podcast, a poker podcast. You know, they have different personalities that talk on different stuff. So Dave on the Dave Portnoy show and said the one that he invited me on and then uninvited me had him to browbeat me. And on top of that, so Ben calls me and says, oh, Alex, I talked about how you got crush at South Florida and quit playing football and went to LSU. And they edited it out of the podcast, him saying that, which is true. I tell you this story. I tell you I got my butt kicked at USF, and that's why I quit. I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, I got knocked around uh, like a tackling dummy for the scout team. And I realized, hey, this isn't that fun. Then I went to LSU, and I had a, a little more of a fun college experience. And honestly, they they took that out. 
Because I think Ben, like I said, is trying to do the right thing and do whatever his boss says. But they probably don't want to poke the bull. They don't want to keep on giving this um, oxygen. But now this forest fire has gotten. They can't contain it. It's just and, and they're coming after you. They're playing your clips. And that's the other reason why is, Jason, you're a legacy broadcaster. You've been on every single network. So it's impossible for somebody to be a sports fan and not know who Jason Whitlock is. You know, they might not know everything about you, but they know of you. You know, and so that's why to their fan base, you saying something bad about it it carries weight me saying something it's not that big a deal but jason whitlock big bad jason whitlock oh you know people there i'm sure there's stoolies that respect you so that's why it's you know you're a threat to their brand and and really dave's the biggest threat to their brand in my opinion the way he's melting down like this he should just ignore it and move on that's how you treat a troll you just cross the bridge you don't go under the bridge and wrestle with them i i gotta and i appreciate what you're saying but the reason I keep having you on the show and the reason why I picked up on this story yesterday is because you are a threat to them. And it's the work <laughs> that you're doing. Seriously. It's yeah. because the kind of humor that you're doing takes real courage and real talent. And, and that's a lane barstool and a brand that they have been leaning into. And you, what you're doing actually exposes like, well, they're doing none of this. These guys are playing it safe. Look at guys like Alex Stein, because again, it's like, he, he's, I'm in the political middle. I'm getting killed because I'm in the middle and won't choose a side. And it's like, nah, dude, you've chosen a side. You've chosen the establishment elitist side, the globalist side. Alex Stein is the guy that hasn't chosen a side. Alex Stein's the guy that Ted Cruz is mad at because you, you confronted <laughs> him. Alex Stein's the guy. <laughs> Alex Stein's the guy that uh, California's passing laws to try to make it so you can't go to uh, city council meetings and troll these unethical politicians. You're the actual disruptor. Barstool is playing it safe, and this is my pro. You, you'll never find me anywhere at any time in my career not trying to shine a light on the young people that came up after me that are doing great things and that are being disruptive and really challenging authority. And so I'm gonna celebrate you, hope you become bigger than me, <laughs> and hope you don't sell out like these other people do. We, we talked yesterday about uh, uh, Howard Stern and how he sold out. Mm. The, the other great example is right there out of Boston. And again, I'm not trying to take pot shots at people. I'm just keeping it real. But Bill Simmons was my favorite sports columnist. I love that dude. Loved his work mm. and celebrated it. It was an honor to work with him on page two ESPN. The dude has completely sold out. He went from a disruptor, non-PC guy, to now he's one of the wokest sports writers in the history of America. He's betrayed everything that made me love him, his brutal honesty, yeah. his humor, and all. He doesn't even write anymore. And so there's a pattern of Bill Simmons right out of Boston, like Dave Portnoy. And, and they build up this following, being the anti-heroes and being disruptors, and they'll speak truth to power. And the next thing you know, they're selling out. And, and I'll go, I'll go even, Dan Levitard, and I've talked about it on this show with the whole Michelle Tafoya thing. Another, these guys all sell out. And it's always, just always about the money. 
I have no problem with money. Uh, I have plenty of it, have spent plenty of it. I'm not against doing business. But there are lines I will not cross. I'm not going to be inauthentic. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to sell out my audience uh, just, oh, well, you know, now I gotta be, I gotta play woke to make money. I'm not gonna do it. I've never been that woke guy, never. And th that's what always cracks me up is people like criticize, well, you sold out too. I'm like, when, how? <laughs> yeah. Go, go check my library, go check the work that won me awards throughout my journalism career. It's all right on brand now. You can republish all of it and it's right there. Mm -hmm. And anything that I have pivoted it on, I talk about. I used to write all the time about chasing young girls, hanging out in strip clubs, had strippers on uh, my old Real Talk podcast, had uh, Angel Allen. You're a real Howard Stern fan. But naked yeah, on my Howard show. Stern. I was doing the whole Howard Stern thing. <laughs> yeah. I pivoted away from that. I copped that. Yep, that's what I was doing, guys. I was wrong for that. I pivoted. I talk about all of that. These people are so dishonest, it drives me crazy. And and it's and, and I just when they try to post, oh, I'm on the side of the little guy and I'm standing up for the people and blah, it's all BS and it drives me. And that's why I'm so proud of you. Uh, and I'm I'm just rambling on, but they got me fired up today, Alex. Well, you are fired up, and now you got me fired up, and I think everything you just said was pretty brilliant, and, you know, these people sell out for money, and it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven, so that's kind of just, uh, you know, whether you believe the Bible literally, or if you just believe it metaphorically for the people listening at home, having a bunch of money and selling your soul for money is a recipe for disaster. That is just plain and simple. I don't care what religion you are in, and what you do is you sell your soul for this money. You're trading who you are, your character character and you become a, a you know low low moral character person for zeros in your bank account for money that you're probably not even going to going to end up spending at the end of the day. So selling out is not an option for me. Selling out is not an option for you. As a black conservative, that is the most punk rock thing you can be in this day and age, sadly. You know what I mean? That's really so you're you're a disruptor oh, oh, oh. as it gets. I, I'm I'm uncomfortable being called a conservative. And it's yeah, not, I know you're not that, but I, you know what I because mean. It, it's, right it's political. It's okay, political. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm uncomfortable being called right-leaning. I just have yeah. a biblical worldview. I, th that's it. Yeah. It's a common sense biblical worldview that has worked for me, my ancestors, black and white, here in America. You adopt these certain values here in America and live up to them, and you, this society used to reward those values. And, and I want this society to reward those values. I, I bought into, I was born in 1967, a, a year before Dr. King was killed. I, I was raised to believe in the content of your character and not judging people by the color of their skin. And, and I believe that there's certain principles that my father adopted, that my mother adopted, and that I knew if, that if I adopted them in this environment they created for me, it wasn't the environment they grew up in. They didn't have all the opportunity that I had. But they made sacrifices and created some freedom and opportunity for me. And I've taken advantage of it. I see my brother take advantage of it. I see my sister take advantage of it. I want it for everybody. And I'm not going to pull the drawbridge up. Hey, let's rewrite this Constitution now that I've made it. 
let's rewrite this constitution and, and let's throw this stuff out because, oh, the guys that wrote it, they did some bad stuff back in the day. And so, you know, we got to rewrite this thing. I'm, you know, it's Wednesday. Pastor Anthony showed up early. If he weren't here, I, I'm, and thank God he is here because I would have already cussed <laughs> by now. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it in front of Pastor Anthony and have him come and look at me with a side eye. So uh, you got anything else you want to say, uh, Alex? I'm going to let you go. Well, listen, I, you know, it's an oh, honor and no, a I'm not going to let you. We're going to we'll do, do a ranking. We're going to do an approval rating. But yeah, I just want to say it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to come here. And all the nice things you said about me, I really, really, really greatly appreciate it, especially coming from a person that's fearless like you. And you, I think you, you nailed it and you said it best. They aren't fearless. They are owned by a gaming company, so they have to capitulate to their bosses. And even in Dave Portnoy's most recent podcast, he said that now he is an employee. So he went from the owner to the employee. That means that you're not the boss anymore. All right, uh, let's get to our approval rating on Portnoy. I just did this today just so I could go lower than I did yesterday because I, <laughs> you know, he pissed me off last night and so I wanted to go lower and so I, I'm glad you're participating with, with me again. I'm not going to change his job performance. Uh, I had him at a 20 yesterday. I'm going to keep him at a 20. Uh, look, he turned something into a billion dollar company. It employs 300 people. God bless him. I'm glad they all have jobs. Uh, so I'll give him a 20 in job performance. Yeah, I gave him a 10. I think he has good work ethic, but uh, his job performance is waning, so that's why he's losing points in that category. Uh, character, uh, I think yesterday I had him at a 2. I'm down to a 0. Th this whole little last true American shtick, uh, just, just, it's just low character. It's low rent. Trying to paint himself as a victim. He can't even see it. He can't even see. Everything that he allegedly stood for, he's against woke culture, now he's a victim. He's sitting there, he's making art, and the, I'm telling you, the, in June when he did this thing with Roe v. Wade, that's when I was like, I'm off this dude. This dude no. don't, he, he doesn't even know what he stands for, other than, hey, how can I party with some young girls and how can I make more money? That, that, that's where, he, no character, zero. And I have to copy you on that. It's zero, no character. I mean, just the fact that he's firing a lower-level lower employee for just associating, just knowing me, shows that he has no moral character and that he cannot check his ego even a little bit. And his professionalism is lacking. Are you a thousand, a thousand percent sure you're a thousand that this Ben isn't doing this for publicity? It's not a bit. I'm telling you, I know Ben well enough that Ben is scared to death that he's going to lose his job. And the reason why Ben got hired is because he had a viral video where Ole Miss came back in a game maybe three years ago. And he, you know, did the hotty toddy, gosh almighty. And Ben, this is what other thing about Ben is Ben is he's like a crazy Cajun. He's like one of these guys from the water boy. And that's why that's why Dave likes him, because he's funny. Just his, just his, he's funny without trying to be funny. Right. And so his job, gotcha. he got the job. He got the job on a fluke. I'm sure he He's worried that he could lose a job on a fluke. This would be a fluke. Authenticity. I don't find Dave authentic at all. He's a total fake and a fraud. I'm sorry if that upsets uh, the barstool legions uh, that Dave, Dave Portnoy groupies or whatever, but there's no authenticity there. Barstool has jumped the shark. It's as woke as ESPN. 
anytime your founder is talking about, hey, you know, screw the screw the founding documents, screw the founders, you know, we're in nutso land, we gotta kill babies, and how dare the Constitution not allow us to kill babies? The guy's got no authenticity. Zero. Once again, another uh, zero from primetime Alex Hine because he invited me on his podcast and then totally backed out. So he's not authentic with his words. And he's he's platform people that are way more controversial than me. So he's not authentic because he goes on these right wing platforms and says, well, they're the only people that will plot, you know, that will have them on. These left wing media companies won't. Well, that just shows you how inauthentic you are, that those people are actually, you know, will not let you on there's one side that has your back and you won't even give them any credit you don't even have to align with them but you throw them in the trash so you're inauthentic you're a liar you're a grifter dave uh it factor uh i think maybe yesterday i had him at a 10 or a 9 or something like that i'm down to a 2 but when i heard he was 5 foot 2 although i heard that he's really <laughs> 5 foot 6 but i saw a bunch of pictures jack pasabiak put out a picture of him standing on his tiptoes there's a bunch of pictures of dave uh, taking pictures with people while standing on his tiptoes. Uh, he's got some insecurity issues about his height. Uh, I gave him a two in it factor. Well, I mean, I'll give him a nine because he's well known. And, and I just want to make this point, too. You know, even if it is a bit that they're fake firing him, you know, I don't think it's a bit for Mincy. I can see how nervous he is. This is the type of person that he is. He's going to look so petty, just like his lame press release where he just basically scratched and, you know, just patted himself on the back. Dave has jumped the shark, like you just said, and he's just, it's just kind of a sad, sad example of what money and fame do to you. So he's got a little bit of it factor. He's got the fame, but he doesn't have the glory. All right. Uh, unlike Steve Kim yesterday, you have uh, Dave appropriately ranked, rated as a dumpster fire, a 19 even <laughs> lower than me. This is why you're the greatest, uh, uh, Stein. Uh, why you're primetime 99, always on the grind, always trying to shine. Uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, you know, sometimes he plays mm -hmm. nice with people. Uh, you didn't. I got him at a 22. We both have him at a dumpster fire. Great job, Alex Stein, on the grind all the time. May have you back tomorrow, <laughs> uh, but if I have you back tomorrow, you'll probably ask people for money, so I'm not going to have you no, back. No, I won't. So. What are you talking about? I, come on, anytime. <laughs> You're the GOAT. Come on, Jason. I, please, I, you know, I want to come on any opportunity I can, and I can tell that we're really affecting these people. They're playing your clips. You're really having an effect on them, so if, you, if you'll have me on, I'm game to go after these guys. Look, if, if there's stool people out here watching, if, if you literally want to be a part of something real and masculine and grounded in something real, something beyond partying and, and chasing young girls, mm -hmm. and look, I used to party, used to love to chase young girls. I get it. But we're living in a very serious time. And thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. But I just, Alex, you can, you can bounce. Uh, but we're living in a very serious time. Playtime is over. All you guys that grew up stoolies and, and bought in the whole barstool deal, that's been going on for like 20 years. And so now you're probably 30 to 45 yourself, you got kids. We're living in a real time where these Marxists are trying to overthrow our Constitution and deny your kids the same freedoms and opportunity that you enjoy. Playtime is over. I'm not saying you can't have fun. 
I'm not saying, but playtime is over. And following behind your little party boy, frat boy leader, Dave, because he's rich and you're a groupie and you wanna, you're living vicariously through Dave. Tell that to your kids when they're living in a country that's run just like China. Snap out of it. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, Shamika Michelle, I'm gonna put on my Judge Jason outfit and uh, she's got someone else she wants to nominate for the FBI. Uh, we'll do that. It's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Shamika Michelle, a.k.a. Joni Cochran, uh, going to join us. She wants to bring somebody else up on FBI uh, charges. We want to add someone to the most wanted list. Shamika, uh, the floor is yours uh, for your opening statement. Hi, Your Honor. I'm here today to bring charges against attorney Benjamin Crump because he is on my list. And I'm hoping <laughs> you'll put him on your list. The FBI free black intelligence most wanted list. Why? Because he is continuously committing crimes against the intelligence community. Now, your honor, on Sunday night, Major League Baseball held their annual Little League Classic. ESPN ran the broadcast, and there was a 30-second clip that went viral. If we could, before I present my case, if we could go ahead and play that little small clip. It's just Little Leaguers being Little Leaguers right there. Hey, next week's Sunday night baseball matchup should be a good one. Atlanta and St. Louis. Cardinals leading the Central. They finish up that three-game series at Bush, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, ESPN, Deportes, and Radio. And we'll start with 6 Eastern Baseball tonight, Sunday night countdown. Mm. Why not, Looks right? Looks like they got mm. a little... When in Rome, are they taking the stuffing out of a stuffed animal? Is that... Looks like they got a Judge Jason segment. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, so... Of course, those outside of the intelligence community got all upset for this clip. However, Your Honor, on Tuesday morning, TMZ released a story with this headline, Little League World Series white player also had cotton on head. 
So TMZ put out this story. They told the background of how Major League Baseball allows these Little League players to come in and how although this 30-second clip had gone viral, they cleared it up that it wasn't just the black child who had cotton on his head, that there was also white Little League players of the same team that had cotton on their heads because they were mimicking a Hawaiian, a Hawaiian Little League player who's been going viral a lot lately for having a... Um, He's been going viral, but he also has a blonde streak, a blonde mohawk. So this is who these little kids were mimicking. And it wasn't just the black kid. It was the white kids, too. However, that didn't stop black America's attorney general, as they call him, Benjamin <laughs> Crump, for legitimizing Twitter's stupid reaction. I have here... Mr. Crump's tweet. This is outrageous. Turn it into the record. Thank you. This is outrageous. Teammates of a Black Little League World Series player stuffed the player's hair with cotton on national television. His teammates may have meant no ill intent, but where were the coaches and parents to stop these inappropriate actions? <laughs> now, as you may guess, Your this Honor, is... mm. I'm sorry, as you may guess, because he's Black America's Attorney General, he had a lot of people to jump on board to give their opinion as well. May I enter uh, these into... Please do, but I want to enter one little statement into the record here. I mm -hmm. saw the TMZ story with the picture of the black kid and the white kid right next to each other, both with white hair, just like mine. Uh, and so I, TMZ blew up this story very quickly. And even, I'm just trying to sit there, even if I were watching this and saw it, I would just think those are kids being kids. What, right. I know a lot of black people whose hair has gone completely white uh, you know, this is a wig I have on, but you know, I got relatives that got white hair. I, I, I don't know if, well, maybe they think it's a big deal because there's cotton involved, but anyway, uh, go ahead with the, go ahead with your case and the additional evidence against, uh, attorney general Crump. Okay. This first tweet that I'd like to present from Trill, Texas reads, at the Little League World Series, the team from Iowa thought it would be cute to racially abuse the black child on the team. And SWS Carl Ravich from ESPN was justifying it. And then he went on to tag some, <laughs> some race baiters in the tweet. Uh, it's Carl Ravage and... Carl Ravage was having fun with it because he's a normal human being just like everybody else. But I don't know, cotton balls on your head? That's racial abuse now. Uh, interesting, I did not know that. Let, we'll add that to the list. Cotton on head is now racial abuse. Continue. Okay, next we have a tweet from Wicked Witch of the West Side. 
who said, <laughs> with very little punctuation marks, might I add, I can't believe the mother of that young black child on that little league team had the nerve to say she was fine with them stuffing her black child's full of cotton on national TV as the only black child on the team. That boy's face said it all. That mother is garbage. <laughs> this is why I hate Twitter. I mean, because it brings out a level of stupidity that nothing else on the planet, we've had all kinds of different forms of communication. We've had, you know, telegrams, we used to write letters, we got cell phones, we got text messages, we got emails. Twitter is the dumbest form of communication. It lowers everybody's IQ. You see a black kid having fun with his teammates and go, his mama is a piece of garbage. How, how do you jump from there to there? I don't know. I don't know either, Your Honor, but I'd like to present more evidence. The next tweet we have is from O.J. Spivey, who is a writer, moderator, and public speaker. His Twitter bio claims that he is intellectually curious. I guess just not about this one. OJ went on to tweet, no matter how the angry face with the words coming out the mouth, you try to frame it, cotton in any form of humor is a no-no. It's as bad as blackface. Just don't do it. <laughs> I've lived a long time, but I've never heard cotton compared to blackface. I hope this man doesn't wear any cotton t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> I just, cotton in humor is now the same as blackface. Uh, that is not an intellectually curious person. That's an idiot, O.J. Spivey. We have another tweet from uh, Benita Sakar, who I guess wanted to add her swirl take on it. This has been getting a lot of attention on social media. Your thoughts. Do we need to do a better job of educating our kids about history? I, I just wonder what these people, what is our history and how many different things do we need to prepare white kids for so they're ready to engage and have fun with black kids. I mean, th there's such a long list. Johnny, don't bring a banana or don't peel it in front of your black teammates. They could call that racist. John, we're not gonna serve watermelon because if we serve watermelon, there could be someone black that could get offended. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on. Oh, fried chicken, I know everybody loves it, but if we serve it and black people, if we put that in the picnic basket or put it in this lunch deal, they'll think we're only putting fried chicken in because I'm just, our kids aren't this fragile and our kids' minds just don't go where Twitter takes adult minds. But good luck educating these white parents on how to prepare their kids for engagement with black children. Yeah, uh, Your Honor, at this rate, we'll have to remove the monkey bars from all the playgrounds. 
pretty soon they're going to be racing. Uh, the next uh, tweet I'd like to enter into evidence comes from Bring Home BG. I'm assuming this is Brittany Griner. Uh-oh. This person claims they are a yellow dog Democrat with big dim energy. It should read <laughs> D-I-M, but whatever. <laughs> this tweet in which she tagged Little League reads, Little League, what was the intent? What legitimate reason could you have for covering a black child in cotton? Hashtag Little League World Series. How is she blaming this on the Little League? How is it, how would they know what was going on? Now the league, this is a league-wide issue. Oh my God, how could (laughs) I... We're just on the hunt to be offended nonstop. Is there more of this? Yes, Your Honor. I have two more tweets. The next one I'd like to enter into evidence to show just how irresponsible uh, Benjamin Crump is, is from the notorious B.I.G. data. Okay. Uh, He tweets, For those white people wondering why black people are mad over that black little league player getting his hair stuffed with cotton by his white teammates, let me make it plain. Under no circumstances is anyone to touch the hair of a black person. Period. Shamika, if, no if, if that's the if that's the case, <laughs> and I, I, Anthony, close your ears. Anthony's here, and I'm about to say something very worldly, but he's messing with the sex lives of a lot of people I know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just true <laughs> with that. <laughs> with that st- I we we've gotten to the point where our hair is so delicate and so much of our self-esteem is gone that if someone touches our hair, that's now offensive and under no circumstances, that's, I guess that's another rule that we'll have to add to the list that white parents and perhaps even black parents need to teach their kids under no circumstances. Uh, don't, and, well, I, I wonder if there's a rule where if you're in prison, and you're sitting between the legs of one of your male prisoners and he's braiding your hair, that's legal and fine. As, <laughs> I just, where does this rule stop? <laughs> yeah, I guess the only, one of the few people that don't have to worry about that rule is Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, <laughs> last Finally, do you have one, fi- you have one yeah. more? One more from one of our favorite oppressed millionaire extraordinaires, Miss Leslie Jones, or Les Dog. Her tweet reads, <laughs> who the f- gonna explain this bullshit? I'm so tired of people saying they not racist, but sit and let racist shit happen. Anyone who comes in these comments to rationalize this, I will rip your f***ing heart out. 
AKA block you. So don't with me. Where are parents? Look at that boy's face. And that's boys without the apostrophe S. Uh, Your Honor, with that tweet, I rest my case. Uh, you, where are Leslie Jones's parents telling her how to represent herself properly, let alone worrying about some kid getting cotton on his head? Uh, Les Dog uh, needs some help. Uh, listen. Ben Crump, long overdue to be added to the FBI most wanted list. Uh, I may put him actually in the top two or three on the most, the, uh, most wanted list. Uh, thank you. That's a very compelling case you made. Ben Crump, thank convicted, you, now a member of the FBI most wanted. Uh, Shamika, great job. Uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to take this hair off. and We're going to get serious again and uh, bring Pastor Anthony in here and interview Brian McKean. He's a school administrator in Florida, runs a Christian school that bans or forbids LGBTQ and transgender students. Uh, he's in a little hot water or controversy about that. We'll have a discussion with him about it. We'll get Anthony's thoughts next. Welcome back. Uh, kind of a little special tweak uh, to this week's edition of uh, Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Pastor Bobby is out on business. Pastor Anthony Walker is here with us. Uh, and we're going to interview, have a discussion with a school administrator in Florida, uh, Barry McKean. He runs a private uh, Grace Christian School, or he's an administrator for Grace Christian School in Florida. They're in the news. Uh, because NBC, I think, wrote a story about uh, McKean and his staff sending out an email to parents reminding uh, the parents of the school's policies as it relates to LGBTQ students and transgenders that uh, they are not, uh, the school doesn't embrace that lifestyle and doesn't want students who are out of the closet or uh, living that lifestyle to be students at their school. It's a longstanding rule. He's been in the news. And so uh, I appreciate Barry McKean joining us. Barry, welcome to the show and thank you for making the time. I, I don't, I'm gonna hit pause for one second, Barry, because when we do the Tennessee Harmony segment, we always start with a short prayer. Uh, from Pastor Anthony, and so I'm going to have him bless this conversation before I ask you a few questions. Sure. Father God, we're thankful so much for this day and for all of your many blessings. Father, we pray uh, that you bless uh, our discussion on today and those that uh, have the opportunity to hear it. We're thankful for this platform, and we pray that all that we say and do is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so Barry, get us get us started in terms of 
What is the school's policy? How long has it been in place? And, and maybe a little bit, how did this controversy come about? Yeah, and thank you for having me and, uh, and, and enabling this discussion. Yeah, so uh, pretty much some variation of this policy has been in existence at our school, which is in its 49th year, probably the entire time. As I was telling some people, as, as new things come along and, and trends change, it may have been tweaked a little bit, but the gist of the policy has been in existence from, from day number one. And uh, the policy is basically a human sexuality policy. And uh, I remind people that really the policy states that none of our students should be sexual. Uh, the policy starts with that God uh, ordained marriage between a man and a woman, and he condemns any sex outside of that relationship. And then it goes on from there and does talk about a number of the perversions that are out there. And uh, all we did, honestly, is on June 6th of this year, uh, as we do each summer, we send out periodic reminders of certain policies. And it might be uh, new trends that are going on. Your kids are not allowed to wear this or that, or they can't do this or that, or social media type things. Um, and we just sent out a reminder to parents, hey, we're reminding you of this policy. Uh, we know that the world is changing, but our school is not. And uh, that's that's kind of how this began back in June. That, when I read the story, that all makes sense to me because I'm aware of how much this issue is in the news cycle. And so I right. could see why a school prop, maybe there have been parents that have approached the school privately to discuss this issue. And that may provoke you all, hey, let's clear the air with all the parents at one time. Let's put out this message. The world is bending, we are not. And, and so it made sense to me that you all would send out this reminder. And I'm sure that's where it's coming from. Am I right? Right. And, and we actually weren't approached by any parents, but on top of the world, seeing the world change and what is, is being accepted, uh, having come off the previous school year, we, you know, you keep your eyes and ears close to the ground. And we just we've noticed some kids, you know, maybe on the verge of coming out or kind of expressing themselves in this way and just maybe being a little bit too friendly. It's just things developing. And we thought, you know, uh, before we get too far into this, um, let's just remind people of the policy that up for our parents not only have the policy each and every school year they before school starts before their child can attend school they have to sign that they have read the school policy the most current version and that their family is willing to abide by that policy do you think you or anyone at the school is in jeopardy of being in trouble uh, or, or facing any kind of pressure from outside groups to change this policy? Can they, do, can they force that kind of change? I don't believe it can be forced upon us. There are some, uh, some working factors in there. Most Christian schools in the state of Florida uh, accept some uh, tax, tax scholarship money, if you will. And so uh, companies in Florida can get a tax break. They give to a fund and then uh, students who meet a, a, a particular mark in terms of financial need can can go to a private Christian school that 
is managed by the state. It's really funded by private corporations. So I really do see a fight coming there long before this came to us. Um, there's going to be a fight on this and school choice in our state and probably in the country about can a school like ours receive, they keep using the word government funding. Um, that's more on the school choice side, which we don't have yet in Florida. I don't consider the Florida tax scholarship credits and all that government funding. The government's just managing it. I certainly expect pressure uh, to be like, hey, you're, you're not going to be able to offer kids these scholarships if you don't change this policy. And if I can be as blunt as I can, uh, we just won't accept the scholarship because the policy is not going to change. Not today, not ever. Barry, let me ask you this, and <clears throat> this is a personal issue for me, and I, and I, I, I got to I want to unpack this properly. Sure. Uh, someone uh, close to me uh, in my family, young person, gay, uh, one of their best experiences in life was going to a private uh, faith-based school uh, while in high school. And, and part of the reason they went there was they had been facing uh, bullying in the public school system and people reached the conclusion that perhaps a faith-based environment would serve them better. And this young person had a terrific experience at a faith-based school. And so when I hear you all say, you know, we forbid it or we ban it or, or, or whatever, part of me says, well, hold on, I, I know someone that went through this experience and it was amazing for them and their family. How do you guys, I guess, walk that line uh, between, because the best way uh, to disciple a young person who perhaps is struggling with their sexuality is to put them in an environment like your school can only create. Yeah, no, I certainly understand the question. And, and I've, I've answered, you know, I've, a lot of people have emailed a lot of support, a lot of hate. And I've had some discussions with people who have a foot on each side of this discussion um, because of close friends and family. Um, you know, for us, there's a difference to me institutionally, institutional rules and guidelines and principles versus being able to minister and reach out. So I'm also the pastor of the church here. Um, can can homosexuals and transgenders and whatnot attend our church? Yes, they can. They have. They do. Um, do we love them? Absolutely. Um, could they go into membership in our church? No, because we believe biblically that they're living in a lifestyle of sin. We don't try to mince words about that. So institutionally, um, it's challenging, uh, especially because our school is a ministry of our church. So if our church has this principle and this guideline, it'd be hard to separate our school from from that same principle or, or, or biblical passage. Um, I certainly understand what you're saying. And as I've told people, um, do I believe we've had homosexual students at our school? Yes. Uh, we've had students who, as soon as they graduate, kind of come out and they, they feel 
safe to uh, safe's the best word they feel they can express themselves at school they couldn't couldn't wear that as a badge of honor or something they might you know be getting in trouble or asked to leave um we just feel like school um school is a place to learn and to grow and there's a lot of things that can be distractions and as i said up front um if, if we had kids walking into school expressing themselves heterosexually uh, they would also be asked to leave. If they're running up and down the halls talking about they did this over the weekend or that over the weekend, uh, that's also against our policy. So it's not an aim against homosexuality. Uh, it's a human sexuality policy, you know, in general. So, <clears throat> Barry, I ask this sincerely, the, the kind of the point of this segment we do weekly with Pastor Anthony and normally a Pastor Bobby is here with us as well, is for me to learn and for the audience to learn. Uh, <clears throat> and so I'll ask perhaps a naive question, but I'm trying to, I wanna learn and I want the audience to learn. And I talk kind of transparently about my personal struggles. And so I, I heard you say about your church, like as a member, if mm -hmm. you couldn't be a member, if you were an out of the closet gay person. What do you say to someone like me? And again, I, I can't say that I disagree with your policy, but what do you, mm -hmm. I, what I, I guess my question is more, shouldn't your policy be or should it be even more restrictive? Take someone like me who struggled with gluttony and I, gluttony, I believe, is a sin. I, I don't think it's what God wants for us. Should should someone like me that has been gluttonous and is dealing with obesity should we be perhaps forbidden from being a member at your church or other churches because we're in disobedience? I think that would be a hard thing for a, a pastor or a deacon board or something to evaluate, you know, a, a person. I don't know that people would necessarily know that versus somebody outwardly living a, a particular lifestyle. And, and I would even mention if, if, if we were in church and someone said, hey, I want to be a member of the church, but I'm living an adulterous lifestyle, or we knew, hey, this person is, 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 uh, is living with this person who's not their, their, their husband or wife, that would also preclude them from, from becoming a member of the church. The membership within the church is, you know, we're all sinners, and that's the message we've been trying to share from the beginning. Um, but uh, I, I certainly understand what you're saying about the gluttony. I, I, I don't know that that would be an easy thing for a pastor to evaluate. This person is, is struggling with that. I don't know that the average pastor would, would know that or assume that. Or, and it's probably not a, a sin that's probably too often you know, talked about or addressed, quite frankly, within the church. You, you kind of answered my question, though, because the other one where I would go down is like, I used to live a very promiscuous lifestyle. And if I guess if your church were aware of that, you would deny me membership. Yes, sir. I mean, at the time, it, it, for me, a lot of it d develops into, you know, we all sin. Um, and and uh, is a person living a lifestyle of sin? To me, there's a, a, also a vast difference between I sin, I'm convicted by that sin, the Lord's working on me. Uh, I may still commit that sin a little bit more before he, he helps me get victory over this versus someone hey, this is who I am, this is what I do, and I don't really feel conviction about this. I believe the Lord does uh, convict us about wrongdoing. So I how long have you been working at 
uh, Grace uh, School, Grace Christian School, how successful, how many, st how many students are there? I'm, I imagine you guys are turning out some great kids that do great things in, in your community and elsewhere. Yeah, it's a great story. I, I, I came to school here in, uh, as a junior in high school in 1987, finished my last two years of high school here, went off to college, married the pastor's oldest daughter. Uh, after college, we came back here, began working. So I've essentially been here since 1993 uh, working. I served as the youth pastor, history teacher, coach, Christian school. You kind of wear a lot of hats. And um and then uh, in the last number of years, eight to 10 years, transitioned to the pastor of the church, administrator of the school. I still coach and teach to stay connected with the kids. Um, we have our largest enrollment now ever at uh, 540 kids. Uh, we got almost 100 kids on our wait list. We're just, we have no more room. We, we're embarking on a building project just as COVID came along. And, uh, yeah, everything got put on hold. And when we came out of COVID, building prices have skyrocketed. And the, the building we want to build to almost double our enrollment um, is now double the price, almost $12 million. So uh, it's a sad thing for us because we're turning kids away uh, left and right. Our school was kind of like, you know, it, it was rolling along. It was good. Uh, COVID just did did something for our school because we opened up in August 2020, mask optional. We believe that um, COVID wasn't a, a major issue for young people and kids needed to be in school and it needed to be their parents' decision whether to have a mask on them or not. And uh, so we were very successful with that. And a lot of people in our community who were being masked up at schools and shields and all kinds and you can't be on the playground and you can't eat lunch with people. Uh, they flooded into our school, have loved it, and uh, yeah, we just can't find enough space for kids. You know what's fa you, you and I'll let you go on this, but you you made the point that I thought you would make is that even during this very rough stretch we're in, where they shut down churches during COVID, and and all this you know drag queen story hour, all this stuff that's going on in the culture has actually benefited your school, because I can see a lot of parents, even with this controversy, being, being like, that's where I want to send my kids. Uh, and so I think your waiting list is just going to get longer and longer. Yeah, we've definitely seen that. We've we've received uh, close to $30,000 in unsolicited donations in the last three days of just people from all over the country supporting. You know, the first number of outlets to pick up the story were a little more of your liberal left type outlets. And so the first two days, it was all hate and, and horrible things. And then as some more conservative outlets started picking it up, it's been the, the the tremendous amount of support and literally people calling, how can I get my kid into school? And, um, you know, I just say, I know you got to let me go. Um, you know, the worst thing for me in this process was was semi being painted as hateful. We're not hateful because we have this policy. We love kids. We love all people. Um, we just have rules that have to be followed. And it's a private school. You can choose to go here or you can choose to go somewhere else. But we're not hateful people. We've, we've never had a spirit of hate um, about this issue or any other. Barry, thank you so much for the time. Uh, continue to stand strong and to do great work. We appreciate you.
for having me. I appreciate it. Anthony, uh, I want to ask you the follow-up that I think I wouldn't say he he I wouldn't say he danced around it, but just knowing what I know, what the role of the church, the role of a school with a young person that's struggling with their sexuality, gender identity. If you were running the school, would you want that kid in your school so that perhaps your school and that environment could help them? Or would you be like, hey, we gotta protect the other kids in this school and not let those issues become the dominant thing and everything everyone's talking about? What do you think about their ban mm -hmm. as opposed to perhaps we should embrace these kids and try to disciple them a different direction? It depends on the culture, depends on how strong their culture is. Um, our church, for example, you know, we, I preach, teach the truth and I let the truth decide, you know, whether you're going to be there or not. If you decide, you know, there, there are people that may be struggling LGBTQ issues, but I do want you to be around the love of Jesus. If their culture being, you know, a school, kids are so impressionable. So when you have kids coming in and if a child is expressing themselves this way and, hey, this is who I am, amongst an impressionable school body, I can see why they make this decision for kids. Uh, but for the average member, as he said, even for his church, like, we, we'll let you come here and we want you to experience the love of Jesus. If I were in that place, I could see the difficulty. I'm going to try to find a way to have that kid there. That's me. Because I, I do believe that, you know, the love of Christ will supersede that. Um, I understand, and like you said, they're a private school. You get to set policy. But I just come from the other side of it. Like, I really want them to be in this environment and let's let God's love win in the end. You pointed out to me, and I, I didn't ask Barry this, but you pointed out to me, they got a long list of rules that mm -hmm. you were even saying like, mm -hmm. Jason, you couldn't wear your earring at right, this school. Right. I mean, they got lists about everything. What do you think about that regimentation, that just all of those, which I'm actually for it and think it's good for young people. Mm -hmm. Strip everybody, it's like going to the military. Let's yes. cut everybody's hair off, put them in the same <laughs> uniform, put them on equal footing. Yeah. I actually like that kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff, you know, I, I went to Lipscomb University, and Lipscomb is a Christian college. So you'll see some of that there. Um, but even now, some of the policy from when I went, you know, almost 20 years ago to now, it has kind of relaxed a little bit. You know, back then, you know, you couldn't be in a crowd of folk, uh, you know, male and female, couldn't be holding hands. You couldn't be, I mean, that kind of stuff, they're, they're watching because... Again, you're trying to set the Christian culture about what God wants. And all of those things that we put on, really what it boils down to, Jason, is identity. Okay? Um, we, as a culture, as a nation, as individuals, we are in an identity crisis. Who are we? You know, and people oftentimes, who are you? I'm a fireman. No, that's your occupation. You know, who are you? Uh, I'm an addict. No, you have an addiction, but who are you? You are a child of God. You're who God made you to be. But now we're in the, in the area of you identify based on how I feel or I identify with my preference. 
The problem with that is if anybody speaks against the idea that you have identified with, well, now you're attacking me. And so that's why, as he mentioned, you know, he talks about this, how they were painted as hateful. He said, we don't hate, but we just teaching what God teaches. We love you, but we are against the lifestyle as God is. So because of this identity and all of this, everything we do, you know, how we cut our hair and how we, you know, how many earrings and every iteration will come something new. You know, every, now we got tongue rings and all this. We can't have, because all of that is trying to, in some ways, take you away from your true identity. And at a time of, you know, elementary, high school, and even college, where your personality and identity is being formulated, we want to try to attach that to God and not to anything else. It, you just made, I think, a really compelling argument for what they're doing in turn. It's like because there's so much identity confusion, let's just strip everything down to the basics. Let, let's mm -hmm. just go back to fundamentals. Like I tell the story of Vince Lombardi taking over the Packers, and he, you know, he's talking to a professional football team. He holds up a football and says, this is a football. And to me, it sounds like this school and why people are being attracted to it is because they're going back to the, we're going to strip all this other stuff away, but mm -hmm. I, we don't want anybody leaning into their sexuality because one, you sh you're kids, you ain't married, you shouldn't mm -hmm. be having it anyway, so we're just going to eliminate it. Mm -hmm. You're here to learn reading, writing, arithmetic yeah. and at a Christian school and that you're a child of God. Right. And that's it. Right. And that, that becomes the culture now. And, and when we get in that and we say, man, I, I can't do all of this, I can't put my this on, I can't wear this, now we get to focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now we get to focus on this and at a Christian school, and we also get our identity reinforced by Christ. My body is not mine. I was bought with a price. The, the word tells us that. I'm here to serve God with my body. I'm here to serve. I'm here to learn. All of this removes that stuff. But as he points out, when you stand that way, now, Prior to this, the only thing I was thinking about as you guys were talking, you kind of touched on the question, you know, have they had issues with this? But every time there's going to be an issue with something that you say. But notice when they uh, sent out the reminder to say, hey, now we're just letting you guys know about our human sexuality policy. Now we get feedback. And one time Paul had an issue like that church, talking with the church in Galatia. He says, guys, at one point in time, this is in Galatians uh, chapter four, around verse 15 and 16. He says, at one point in time, you would pluck out your eyes and give them to me. That's how much you loved me and what I told you. But now that I challenge you to repentance, he says, therefore, I have become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So that's how culture shifts. At one point in time, I'm sure in this community, oh, we love Grace Christian. But then he sends out the reminder Hey, guys, I just want you to remember our policy. Well, wait a minute. Whoa, what now? Why do you hate my kid? Or why are you so hateful? It's not that. We're just standing for God. So I was reading one of the stories written about this controversy. I think of this may be from the NBC story that started this controversy. And they quoted somebody uh, talking about their daughter uh, that said, it's not like my daughter goes around wearing rainbow flags or anything like that. 
but I'm not going to have her feel ashamed of herself for any reason. And so this is a parent saying she's got a gay child and she doesn't want her child feeling any shame over that. And, and I'm not sure, that's why I'm asking you mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. should we be protecting our kids from shame over things we think are inappropriate? And so it's like, when, if I got really bad grades, my parents wanted me to feel ashamed of that. And if I let them down in some way, broke a promise, didn't do what I was supposed to do, they wanted me to feel shame. And now we're living in an environment where shame is, is outlawed. We just want kids to feel good about everything. Is that appropriate? I have a problem with that. Um, and and a, the problem that I have is not with the parent wanting to protect to to protect their child. Uh, being a father, you, you do all you can to love and, and support your, your children. You wanna save them, you wanna do whatever you can for that. But one thing that I teach in my house and even at our church, the only thing that the world has given us <clears throat> are things that we are ashamed of. That's all you've gotten. Look back over your life, Jason. The things that you start that story and you say, you know, I'm not proud to say this. That's what the world gave you. That's what the enemy gave you. But the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So if, you know, as a parent and as a minister that even encourages parents, yes, I don't want my child to feel this way because of what they struggle with. But that's an opportunity for the child to formulate a real and right relationship with God. I know people, Jason, who struggle with same-sex attraction, but they struggle with trying to live how God would have them to live. Um, I know people that struggle with lust, with porn. I mean, they, they struggle with so many things. The struggle is, God, I'm trying to do this the way that you want me to do it. Even though I have this struggle, even though I'm tempted in these areas, and God, you know that about me, I'm still going to try to do it your way. Now, that's the kind of thing that only binds the relationship between them and God. If we make it comfortable for you to just embrace, and that's going back to this whole thing about identity crisis. There's the side over here where, hey, God, I, I, I struggle with this and I'm trying to be, but man, I struggle with this attraction, but I, okay, I'm going to try to do. And then you have this side over here that says, hey, you know what? That's who I am. Y'all accept me as I am. Uh, well, now you've embraced, and he used the terminology, you've embraced the lifestyle. And scripture, it, it speaks against it. Uh, one more uh, passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul mentions this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the kicker. And such were some of you. All of us have been some of that and some have probably been all of that. So, but the, the point in verse 10, he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. God gives us victory over 
everything that is trying to defeat us, everything that's trying to isolate, everything that's trying to kill us. Jesus died for that so that we would not have to die because of that. We'll end with one final and probably the hardest question for you because it's, it's, I struggle with it. I, I, and we may have talked about it before on the show, but this is also from the NBC story about Grace Christian School. Uh, they quote a former student or no, an activist at one of these groups that are against the policy that Grace Christian School has. Uh, and so he says, we know from data from surveys from long track working of LGBTQ youth that policies like this are inherently harmful. Students who receive these messages are much more likely to experience depression, to experience suicidal ideations, to socially withdraw, to become vulnerable really to all sorts of harmful coping mechanisms. So basically they're saying, you know, if kids that exist in these environments, they get depressed, they want to commit suicide, and they turn to drugs. And, and the, the sui their suicide rate is the ultimate card that they play. You gotta be accepting of this so these kids won't commit suicide. You say. Acceptance of what? Now if you want me to accept you, I accept you, but my accepting of you does not mean I agree with everything that you do. So acceptance does not equate to agreement. Jesus accepted everybody that wanted to come to him. Everybody. And if you notice, when he walked on planet Earth, everybody that he encountered was riddled with sin. He accepts them all. But at the same time, he rejects the lifestyle that God does not call us to. So I accept you and I want you to be a part as far as the suicide and depression, listen, all of those things are a result of a lifestyle that is contrary to what God designed you for. And so you live with this, this sadness of, man, I'm struggling with this and I know God has called me to this. And rather than to go to him, we turn to any other thing that medicates us. Drugs, okay, let me take my mind away from it. Depression, we implode suicide, hopelessness. Uh, but as I spoke on um, a, a Devo that I had this morning, everything that we struggled with, he died so that we would not have to. And all the things that we thought, somebody may say, man, I'll never be able to uh, overcome this. I'll never be able to. With you, it is impossible. But with Christ, all things are possible. Even the word impossible had to change when Jesus came by. It now says, I'm possible. So because of that, they'll be all right. That's it and that's all. We'll play some harmony and get out of here. Great job, Anthony. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and stand tall. To be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for downfall. God let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Harmony. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Harmony. Put all your weapons down. Love one another now. Harmony. Time for us to wake up.
Get to me. Open up your eyes. 